In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, it is still Christmas, and we are still observing and celebrating the birth of our dear Lord. And yet in the midst of that, of this season, and of that celebration, while we're still rejoicing that the Son of God became flesh for us, we get the gospel lesson for today, which is Matthew chapter 2, and it is the historical account of King Herod ordering the murder of all the male children in Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. Now, I know that the casual churchgoer may be very uncomfortable with this text and may actually find it distasteful and off-putting. In fact, many pastors and churches end up just ignoring the reading altogether because it's so dark, because it's so awful. And I get it because it is. It is. It aches my heart to just think of those dear families, those poor mothers who went nine months of bearing that child, who went through all of the pain of giving birth to that child, who fed that child with their own body, and those fathers who saved their money, uh, prepared their homes to receive this child, got everything ready for their son, and all of that to have it ripped away, their son ripped from their arms and murdered in a very cruel and agonizing death by a soldier. Uh, I don't think it can get darker than this. I don't know if there's a darker text in all of scripture than this one. And so in this Christmas season, we have two starkly contrasted images. We have the peaceful uh, Christ child lying uh, safely in a manger. And then we have the, we hear the screams of the mothers and fathers watching their own sons be dismembered in front of them. That's happening in the same time. Uh, Like I said, a lot of pastors and churches just cut this out and we just want to ignore this. uh, And we just want to focus on the good feelings of Christmas. But I'm not going to do that. And the reason is because the church has always observed this text. And the reason it has always observed this text is because it actually happened. It's historical. Uh, Rather than omit or change what happened, uh, or history, because we don't like it, we learn it because it's true, and that's what we're about in this church. We're about the truth, Uh, not about our feelings or our experiences or our own desires, but about the truth of what happened, Uh, even if that truth is ugly and dark. Now, if, if, you, um, if you look up this text, or sorry, this event in secular history books, you won't find it, actually. Uh, the reason is not because it didn't happen. The reason is because nobody else cared enough to write it down. So the, what, what it was, the secular historians didn't find it to be newsworthy. So l- let me explain. Uh, Herod was psychotic. He was crazy. He was a paranoid man. Anyone uh, who had any uh, ember uh, or spark in them that could possibly take his place, he would go after them and he would take them out. And he was in constant fear and anxiety that someone is going to take his place in king. So whenever there's any potential competition, he would sentence them to death. He had, in fact, he had no problem putting elites to death, powerful soldiers, his own family members to death. Uh, this was just who he was. 
So, uh, when Herod heard the Magi say that they were looking for a newborn king of the Jews, he immediately becomes paranoid and tries to think, where is this baby? I need to find him and I need to kill him. But I can't find him specifically, so what I'm going to do is cast a great net over all of Bethlehem and kill all of the babies who are born in that time range, and I'll probably get him. I'll stop him. Uh, on top of that, so that's uh, Herod's thinking. On top of that, Bethlehem was really, really small. And so we estimate that that night there were anywhere between six and 12 little baby boys that were murdered. Uh, that it's a small number because Bethlehem is small. So a, a very small number were uh, murdered that night. So with all that being said, that is most likely why the event wasn't recorded in secular history. Because it was too small and insignificant. Uh, secular historians omitted it altogether because for them, this was nothing uh, out of the ordinary. This was just a common occurrence. Uh, in fact, for them, it was just a bunch of babies. They didn't do anything, right? They didn't contribute anything to society. Nobody really knew who they were. Nobody's going to miss them. It was just their parents. So they didn't contribute anything. They, they didn't uh, change the, the culture. They didn't do anything. They're not really going to be missed. So why waste time and money writing about this if it's not a newsworthy event? Um, and yet, the scriptures record this event. And that shows you that God cares about things that the world doesn't. He cares about people that the world doesn't care about. He cares about those little babies who were created by him. Their inmost being. He created their inmost being. He knit them together in their mother's womb. They were fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord who loves them. His eyes saw their unformed body. He numbered all of the hairs on their head. He created them in his image. He loved them. He was born for them too. And even if this world thinks those babies are insignificant and worthless, God doesn't. He decides to write this down into eternity, into his word. And so if God loves these infants so much and finds this event so significant, and if he is moved so much to write this event in his holy and eternal word, then we Christians should be moved in the same way to care for the smallest among us also, right? So we consider the text before us for those two reasons. First, because it's historical. And second, because God cares about things that the world doesn't care about. And so therefore we care about things that the world oftentimes doesn't care about. But there's a third reason, and it's this. That this text shows us the kind of world that the Lord came into. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we hear that Jesus, that the Son of God was born into the world. And today, you learn what kind of world it was that he stepped into. That the world is not mostly good. It's not even kind of good or neutral. This world is very evil. It is very, very dark. It is not a nice and fluffy or beautiful or lovely place to live. It is a very sick and disgusting place to live, in fact. It is a long way from heaven. 
It is very, very, it is not even close. The world is far closer to hell than it is to heaven and its righteousness. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, you see the kind of world they created and what kind of bed they made for us to sleep in. This is the world we are in. Now, if you, if you ask the common person, they're going to say that the world is pretty good, that it's okay, uh, that it has its bad parts, but mostly it's all right. H- however, <clears throat> the problem is this, that we, <laughs> we, um, <clears throat> we don't realize how dark this world is because we were born in the darkness. We were born in it. We see and hear and live and breathe this darkness and this wickedness so much that we barely even notice it. That a text like this just hits our ears and then we move on with our day like nothing. We turn on the news and we see something insane and we just move on and we eat our dinner like nothing, right? Uh, And the thing is, the reason is because we have nothing else to compare it to. For example, an analogy, it's like the smell in our own home. Everybody, every home has like a unique smell, a distinct smell for better or for worse, whatever it is, uh, because you live there. (laughs) And the people who visit that home can smell it as soon as you walk in the door, right? You open it and you say, oh, it smells good in here. It smells awful in here. Or this is weird. Um, So whatever it is, there's that smell that's in it. But those who live there can't smell it. Because they're accustomed to it, right? It's around them all the time. In fact, they're creating that smell with the foods they cook, the clothes they wear, the, what they do throughout the day, all these things. And they don't even notice it. Well, that is what it's like for us who live in this world. This world is so dark and awful, but we are so accustomed to it. And we are the ones causing that darkness that we don't even notice it, right? Okay. Think about this. Think about how dark this world is. Uh, Within two years of Jesus' birth, Herod slaughters 12, about 12 little babies in their homes, in their own homes. By the end of today, we will have slaughtered 3,000 little babies in their mother's womb in the United States alone. Last year, worldwide, adult human beings murdered around 50 million baby human beings before they were able to see their mother's face, before they could take their first breath. At least those children in Bethlehem got to do that. And no one came and did this to their children, but their own mothers did it to their children. On December 30th, uh, last year in Argentina, before the year closed, there were tens of thousands of Argentinians in the street watching a live streaming event on a really large screen. And when you see the video, you can look at this up online. You see the crowd staring at the screen in anticipation and they have tears in their eyes. They're all dressed the same. Uh, You you think it's like a, a World Cup match or something. And, and they're watching, and then all of a sudden, the crowd erupts into cheering. And they're throwing beer and drink, and they're all hugging each other and crying, and they're rejoicing, and they're jumping up and down. It looks like they just won a, a great sporting event or something. And what were they celebrating? 
They were celebrating the announcement that Argentina's Congress legalized abortion up to, 14, up to the 14th week of pregnancy. We not only allow this evil, but in this world we celebrate it. Last year alone, 12 major cities in the United States hit all-time homicide rates, all-time high homicide rates, killing, people killing each other. By November last year, the city of Chicago alone had 739 murders, one city. It's estimated that on average, uh, 20 people per minute are physically abused in their own home. Uh, since the year 2000, over 700,000 people have overdosed on drugs. In the U.S., 10% of men have an addiction to pornography. In 2017, over 700,000 marriages just in that year alone in the United States ended in divorce. In the United States in 2020, uh, 400,000 children were abducted, stolen. In Europe, a child is abducted and reported missing every two minutes. Uh, churches were burned down to the ground in Canada last year, and barely anyone bothered to talk about it. The government has turned against its own citizens and is again imposing unjust things and requirements for two years now, and it is just a part of life. And when you turn on the news, you see churches fracture and fall apart when their pastor is caught in a scandal, in a money scandal, money hidden in the walls, abuse scandals, adultery scandals, so on and so forth. And and I, I don't even have time to go through the majority of these things. I, I don't even have time. We don't have time for it. It is all out there. You can just look it up. You can just uh, Google it. You can find it on the news. And it is constant, 24-7. Bad things happening all the time. And that is the world the Lord came into. That this world is not a clean place. It is not organized. It is not running well anywhere. Uh, many times we think, that the world, we think of the world in some sort of abstract way and we do political and uh, uh, philosophical and even theological thinking in a vacuum. We want everything to be neat and organized like it's a science lab. Everything has its place. Everything's labeled. Everything uh, can be categorized or something. And we think, uh, look, if we just, if, here's the problem. If we come up with the right legislature or philosophy or ideology or we come up with the right uh, therapy, or we abolish classes, or whatever, we put the right system in place, that is going to solve the problem. Th then these things will go away. Let's just, that, that's the issue. Let's fix that, and then everything will fall into place. And that is so unbelievably naive, because the world was already a problem before these things were in place. There's so much evil in this world, and it will not get ever, will never get control of this. It's just not going to happen. Now, on top of this, we see all of this chaos. We see pandemonium around us. We see evil people like Herod. We see serial killers. Uh, we see violent people. We see angry people, divisive people. We see actual racism, people killing uh, other people because of the color of their skin, uh, because of the language they speak, actual 
racism and genocide that happens around the world. We see people involved in money laundering and cheating and stealing and lying and disobedience and addiction and so on and so forth. And this is where it hits home is that you and I are cut from the same cloth. All of these things happening around us, all the people doing these things, we are cut from the same cloth. We're the same flesh and bones as them. And we have the same sin in our hearts. You and I are as fallen and corrupt and troubled and as guilty of sin like everyone else. In fact, you have your own sin and your own guilt that you are guilty of, that others may not know about. You have done shameful things in your life that if they were publicized and made known, you would die of shame and embarrassment. And you realize that we don't just have a problem that we are the problem too. And this is the world that the father sent his son to come into. And I want you to understand that well. I want you to keep that in mind, that this is the ugliness and the darkness of this world. And the father chooses of his own volition to send his only begotten son. Now, I don't want you to think of the father as some stoic God who's unmoved, who has some hardened heart against his son, who's angry with his son, who just doesn't like him or something and says, here, get out of my face. Uh, just, just go there. That is not it. This is a God who loves his son, his only begotten son with every fiber of his being, who has loved him, who has only loved him since eternity. <laughs> Uh, you fathers, uh, you have a small glimpse of this sort of love, right? You, you have your own children. You have your own son. I have my sons whom I love more than I could ever describe to you. And there is nothing I'm not going to do for them. There's nothing I'm not going to uh, uh, sacrifice in myself for them. And I am, and I am a poor, miserable sinner of a father who fails day after day, who cannot love Uh, any better than I already do. And still, I have a glimpse of how great the love of the father has for his own son. But the father loves his son perfectly and better and more than I could and more than you could, if you can believe it. Now, that is the heart of God, the father toward his son. So you have this evil fallen world and then you have this perfect and pure love of the father for his son and so when he sends his only begotten son to this earth for sinners for wicked people for poor miserable creatures like you and me that he gives his only begotten son to die for us for the bad guys for the villains i don't want you to think that it's because the father doesn't love his son I want you to know that it's because he loves you that much. And he doesn't just love you Christians that much. He loves even those who are not yet Christians. And in fact, even those who will never be Christians. He loves them that much. He doesn't just love those who love him. He loves even those who hate him. He loves not only those little babies in Bethlehem that much, but he loved Herod that much. 
that he spilled his blood for him, that the Lord of life would die for him. He died for Saul and he loved him. He died for Judas and he loved him. He died for Herod and for Nero and for all of those who are addicted, for all those who have aborted their own children, for those who steal, for those who lie, for those who cheat, for those who mock and despise God. He loves them. He sent his son to die for them. That he was born for us all and he took flesh for us and he spilled his blood for all. Listen to this, uh, just, just a few Bible verses. This is 1 John chapter 2. It says, Jesus is the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Romans 5 says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, One would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 1 Timothy 2 says, God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So this, dear saints, is the dark world we live in, and this, dear saints, is the world that God himself came to redeem. He came to redeem you from this fallen world through his perfect death, through his perfect life, his obedience, and his death. He left his pure and holy throne in heaven, surrounded by the angels, the sinless angels, and he came down to dwell among us filthy, disgusting people to save us and to be our way out of it, to take us to where he is. This is the world you live in, and this is the Savior you have. You have a God who loves you more than love could ever be defined. God, your dear Father in heaven, has revealed the deepest abyss of his fatherly heart towards you in Christ. So may God bless you. Uh, May God bless you all this Christmas season as it comes to a close and as we begin a new year. Remember that everything the Lord went through and everything he endured was for your sake, to redeem you. And remember how much he loves you and that there is nothing he would not go through in order to make you his own. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.